If you're watching this channel, it's because you don't enjoy watching the world squander what Christendom built, and you want to do your part. Today I'd like to mention one means of doing just that. Email made by and for Catholics. Check out Fide Email. That's F-I-D-E-I dot email. Built for Catholic individuals, families, organizations, and groups. They're private, secure, and of course Catholic. God bless. We have a letter from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, and normally, as of late, I've been saving these for weekends, but this is meant to rally those who are either going to be in California standing in opposition to what is going on there with the mockery of nuns and our faith with the full-throated endorsement of Major League Baseball, or those who will be around the country and around the world doing prayers of reparation in solidarity with those engaging in the protest. Now, this letter is a little long. It's about six and a half pages long, and I do have to sanitize the language here and there a little bit to uh, make it friendly to this place, but I will have the full thing for you posted today in my show notes at returntotradition.org. That's returntotradition.org. Again, normally I save these for the weekends, but I think you'll find this one appropriate for everyone today. So I'll get out of the way here and let Archbishop Vigano do the talking. To the participants in the Eucharistic procession in reparation for the blasphemous outrages of the uh, James Martin sect. Praised be Jesus Christ. I greet all of you, priests, religious, and laity, who are participating today in the solemn Eucharistic procession in reparation for the recent outrages directed against God and our holy religion. During a time of very serious crisis in the church, and of a furious attack on the commandments of God and the natural law, we are all struck and indeed saddened by the complicit and fearful silence of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, concerned as it is with not offending the sensibilities of the world, and indeed following and almost anticipating its agenda, while it has no concern for the fact that it is betraying our Lord precisely in the moment in which he is being offended and blasphemed. By contrast, we wish to express our gratitude to Bishop Joseph Strickland of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. May his courageous call for a public act of reparation serve as an example and warning to his brother bishops, while silence is deafening, as well as belatedly emphasized by the appeal of the USCCB, to recite the litany of the Most Sacred Heart, without mentioning either the blasphemous acts to be repaired or their perpetrators and accomplices. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, a feast that the Lord ordered to be celebrated solemnly on the Friday after the octave of Corpus Christi, appearing in 1673 to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, a French nun and mystic. Jesus promised to Sister Margaret Mary that he would grant the gift of dying in the state of grace to those souls who would worthily receive Holy Communion on the first Friday of nine consecutive months. Our Lord asked King Louis XIV, to consecrate France to his most sacred heart, and to depict the sacred heart on the banners of the realm, announcing that if the king did not do so, his enemies would ruin the monarchy. But if the king's failure to consecrate France was able to cause a spiritual material ruin of this illustrious nation through a bloody revolution, if the failure to consecrate the Great Bear of the East to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, as the Most Blessed Virgin announced in 1917, was able to provoke the spread of the errors of materialistic atheism and the hammer and sickle throughout the world, what punishment now weighs on this rebellious world, which is now dominated by the servants of Satan and demon worshippers? And what punishment now weighs on the ecclesial body, whose prelates make a daily profession of obedience to, to the rulers of the Novus Ordo Seclorum, even legitimizing the sins which cry out to heaven for vengeance in the sight of God, and are culpably silent as the enemies of Christ spew forth their blasphemies and offend the most holy things of our religion? 
Perhaps we ought to begin to look at the present apostasy as a scourge permitted by God to punish an infidelity that has now lasted for 60 years in the church, a crescendo of betrayals whose sole purpose, we can now recognize it, is the cancellation of the Catholic faith taught by the Lord to the apostles and the replacement of the church with her humanitarian horizontal counterfeit inspired by the subversive principles of the stonecutters and the worship of man. Today, we celebrate the mystery of the infinite love of Jesus Christ, symbolized by his heart beating and inflamed with charity, who went to the point of becoming incarnate, suffering and dying for us on the cross, offering to the Eternal Father the perfect expiation for all the sins committed by men since the original sin. That divine love, that God who is most perfect love, comes to close the octave of the Feast of Corpus Christi, as if to seal the inheritance of the love that the Lord leaves us with his presence in the blessed sacrament of the altar. It is, in fact, out of love for us that the Lord wanted to institute the most holy Eucharist. He remains present under the humble veils of the Eucharistic bread, willing to suffer irreverence and profanation in order to have the consolation of seeing so many good souls, so many children, so many young people, and so many married couples on their knees before the tabernacle or gathered around the radiant monstrance, and also so many sinners who come to heal those shortcomings and weaknesses by turning to the Lord, trusting in his holy help, and humbly recognizing that they are in need of forgiveness and grace. Why then is so much fury directed against the good? Why this fury against good people who dedicate their lives to serving their neighbors, if not due to the proud rejection of eternal salvation, on the part of those who do not accept that there is any redemption because they persist in denying that there is a fault to expiate in a guilty humanity? What misunderstanding of the value of the consecrated life is shown by those who parody nuns, these holy women who in the silence of the cloisters pray even for them, and what cowardice on the part of both the public and the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team, who tolerates and approve of behavior that should instead receive public execration. While you all are honoring Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, other unfortunate throughout the Western world celebrate the first deadly sin of violating God's commandments and the very law of nature, with the support of public institutions, the encouragement of religious leaders, the sponsorship of multinational corporations, and the participation of the world of entertainment and information. This should be enough to make us understand how the people who are truly discriminated against today are those who are not willing to apostatize from the Christian faith to embrace the current ideology. The ruling elite, imposed and financed by well-known planners, does not value diversity but rather seeks to annul it. It does not want our freedom but rather our servitude to vice, our dependence on a twisted power that rewards only its accomplices, and our subjection to the elite caste of corrupt people whom no one has chosen and no one dares to seize for the crimes against all people. Money, power, pleasure, success, immortality. The seductions of the evil one are always the same. You will be like gods. See Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. The serpent has said to Adam and Eve, lying. What most absurd promise, what most brazen fraud could Satan hatch in order to convince our first parents to disobey God? Yet they believed that a creature rebellious against the Almighty could make them become like gods and give them the knowledge of good and evil. That is the ability to decide what is right and what is not, what is the exclusive prerogative of God. The same false and twisted promise is repeated to us whenever we are subject to temptation, because the evil one wants to induce us not only to sin, but even to usurp from God the authority, to determine how we should behave, to deny that action is sinful, by which we make ourselves responsible for the torments of the passion of Christ. But who are we to replace the majesty of God and decide what is good and what is evil? What delirium of omnipotence can mislead the mind of sinful man, inducing him to despise the divine love that enkindles the heart of Jesus with charity, preferring eternal torment in an in 
inextinguishable hatred towards our Creator and Redeemer, throwing ourselves as corpses into the arms of the one who is who is an ender of all from the beginning. And what mad blindness, reminiscent of that the Sanhedrin at the foot of the cross, can push the ministers of the Most High to become the accomplices of this infernal subversive of the divine order. The secularization of the church in progress for over half a century has led the Catholic hierarchy to be ashamed of the truth, of the Son of God, the eternal word of the Father, of Christ who is Lord and King of the church and of nations, not only by divine right, but also by right of conquest, since with his sacrifice he has regained us, the price of his precious blood, after we had chosen death and damnation by yielding to the temptation of the serpent. This secularization was made possible by two sins of the intellect, heresy and hubris, combined with two no less serious sins of the will, the sins of the flesh and sins against nature. This deviation has made inroads among many priests and bishops, blinding their minds with presumption and dulling their will with impurity. You will be like gods. The theories of the flesh, the corruption of the young and, and, the, and young adults, the indoctrination of the fleshly ideologies, the twisting of spousal love, the sins and evils of the flesh and of science of our time are all grotesque attempts to make the place of God in the very act of creation, to erase from man and from nature itself the divine imprint of the Creator, to destroy man's soul with sin and vice, the soul which the most holy trinity can make pure and holy through grace, in order to be able to dwell there and fill it with blessings. It is this livid and deaf envy, this eternal hatred of the, on the part of the eternally defeated one, which leads the devil to try to snatch from God as many souls as he can, deluding himself that he can nullify Christ's passion and death. For this reason, the evil one is unleashed principally against the church, the mystical body of Christ, which is destined, just like her divine head, to suffer and undergo trial. But this is a mad delirium that is destined to fail because our Lord has overcome the world and nothing can change or mitigate this victory. The punishment of these horrors is already contained in their very nature, which is sterile, incapable of generating or transmitting life, and which vice versa can give only despair, pain, illness, and the end. The great reception of deception of Satan, dear brothers, consists in making souls believe that they can do without God, that they can build a world in which human fraternity replaces Christian charity, in which love for neighbor is instead based on love for God and on God's love for us. But this utopian world... This paradise in which men should be brothers without recognizing themselves in Christ, children of the one eternal Father, is in reality an eternal perdition on earth, the dystopia that Satan wants to establish to prepare the kingdom of the Antichrist. A perdition that harms the most vulnerable in the illusion of making them look like what they can never become, while decreeing the end for millions of creatures in the, who are most vulnerable. A perdition that preys on the elderly and the poor because their life does not deserve to be lived according to the ruling elite, and at the same time tolerates or even encourages uh, certain unspeakable horrors. We have heard with horror the utterances of an American Jesuit who today is hailed as a defender of the James Martin cause within the conciliar church, and who, unlike so many good pastors, is warmly welcomed and encouraged by Bergoglio. To hear this unworthy religious become a promoter of vice and to affirm that there is no contradiction between celebrating the sacred heart and the obscene Demonstrations of the first deadly sin celebration is a cause of scandal for the faithful, a dishonor for the Holy Church, and a blasphemous outrage against our Lord. Only a misguided soul can arrive at such an aberration without realizing the gravity of these statements. And one wonders if in his eagerness to please redacted by confirming them in sin, this heretical Jesuit does not seek to legitimize for himself and his supporters what the natural and divine law decree as sinful. But even worse than this unworthy Jesuit are those who protect him while persecuting good priests who are guilty, in their eyes, of preaching in accord with the deposit of faith that Christ taught in the church guards. 
This tolerance for evil is even more vile when it is accompanied by the abuse of power in opposing cases. When bishops permit churches to be used for the secular celebration of the moment, forbid the celebration of the apostolic mass. When canonical sanctions do not apply to prelates and Ted McCarrick type priests, but are instead opposed on those who dare to denounce heretical or twisted clerics. In this procession of public reparation, I urge you to pray for those responsible for public offenses against the divine majesty. Ask the Lord to touch the hearts of those, perhaps seduced by the deceptions of the mainstream, who think that the practice of the sin in question is not intrinsically sinful, and that as such it should not be condemned by Catholic morality. Those who induce to indulge inclinations that a healthy education and a solid interior life could serenely correct are deluded by mercenaries or wolves disguised as lambs, that their conduct does not deprive them of the grace of God. I ask you also to pray for those who, while holding positions of responsibility, do not raise up, as is their duty, any rejection of any cooperation with the ideological moment of the time, without realizing that the moral upheaval of the nations is the premise of the of future struggles of a civil kind, along with disorder, the legitimization of new controls, new restrictions, and new discriminations. To these poor souls, I say, do not be deceived. Wake up from this hypnosis before it is too late. Have the humility to run to the foot of the cross, where that most sacred heart was pierced by the lance that blood and water flowed from it, and to cry out with the hearts of children your repentance, your request for help, and your trust in the supernatural help of God. Whoever puts everyone to the test, not in order to see them fail, so that they may, be, they may rise victorious and deserve the eternal prize. Take refuge in the divine heart, so that Christ may give meaning and purpose to your life, and Satan may not corrupt you and drag you with him to the eternal despair of perdition. Neither the satisfaction of every pleasure, nor the arrogant ostentation of obscenities, nor the parody of family and conjugal love can ever give peace to your heart. You can never be God's, because the illusion comes precisely from the one who knows well what are the consequences of his rebellion, his non-servium. You will have peace, the peace of Christ, which is not the peace of the world, only when you learn that human love is a reflection of divine love, and that you cannot love your neighbor when you do not love the one who created us, who shed his blood on the cross. He wants everyone to be saved, and who assures us, each one of them, of the help that makes a salvation possible. The one who desires everyone to become saints, while Satan wants us all to be condemned. Do not let yourselves be deceived by those who today are using you to undermine the foundations of civil coexistence and social morality, but who tomorrow will not hesitate to make you disappear when new transgressions and new horrors will require new victims to be exploited. Do not allow your weakness to be used against you and against your souls, but rather make this an opportunity for inner improvement, not to become servants to passion and vices, but rather with the grace of God to be victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Satan is the prince of this world, and his power is only temporally tolerated by God. But Satan demands to reign, to usurp the authority of Christ, the only true king of the world, of nations, and of societies, and of souls. Or portetum ilum regnare. It is necessary that Christ reign, because where Christ does not reign the usurper, Satan takes power, and along with his servants also governs those servants who now openly demonstrate their devotion to the devil. But in order for Christ to reign, it is not enough to honor him with a solemn Eucharistic procession. It is necessary that all the faithful and their pastors be reborn in love for Jesus Christ as a generous and vital response to the love he has for us. We must let ourselves be overwhelmed by this love so that every fiber of our body, every thought, every beat of our heart can be moved by the love of God, by the determination to do his will, be the irrepressible desire to spread his love, this divine charity as much as possible. When priests, religious, bishops, and cardinals, and, God willing, even the one who should preside in charity will allow themselves to be conquered by the love of God and carry out their ministry animated by this spiritual fire, the Lord's response will not be long in coming. 
and will surpass all our hopes. Dated today, June 16th, 2023, on the, on the feast or the solemnity of the Sacred Heart, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. That is a barn burner of a letter from him. And I'm hoping you will join me today at some point in reciting the Litany of the Sacred Heart and going to confession this weekend, making a good confession, beating your breast, and going and making a firm amendment to live a life of sanctifying grace. Let me know what you thought of this letter in the comments. If you want to read the full uh, unfiltered version, it's linked in my show notes today at returntotradition.org. The whole thing is there for your reading pleasure. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.